335, if you would please tonight, 335, we are doing, having, taking Lord's table tonight, communion, so I appreciate all of you trying to work your way towards the front, I appreciate that. 335, redeemed how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Let's all stand as you make your way towards the front, 335. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed through His infinite mercy, His child and forever I am. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed, redeemed, His child and forever I am. This verse says, redeemed and so happy. That's a condition, right? Happiness. And I want to see a little bit of happiness. We've been redeemed. We've been bought back out of the slave slave market of sin. And so that makes us redeemed and so happy in Jesus. On the second, redeemed and so happy in Jesus. No language my rapture can tell. I know that the light of his presence with me doth continually dwell. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed, redeemed, his child and forever I am. I think of my blessed Redeemer, I think of him all the day long. I sing for I cannot be silent, his love is the theme of my song. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed, redeemed, his child and forever I am. I know I shall see in his beauty the king in whose lie delight, who lovingly guardeth my footsteps and giveth me songs in the night. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed, redeemed, his child and forever I am. Brother Clem Rademacher, would you open us in prayer tonight, please? Two hundred and sixty-one, if you would please, two hundred and sixty-one, Lamb of Glory, two hundred and sixty-one. Hear the story from God's word that kings and priests and prophets heard. There would be a sacrifice And blood would flow To pay sin's price Precious Lamb of glory Love's most wondrous story How 
worship the Lamb of glory. On the cross, on the cross, God loved the world while all the powers of hell were hurled. No one there could understand the one they saw was Christ the Lamb, precious Lamb of glory, love's most wondrous story. Heart of God's redemption of man, worship the Lamb of glory. Going to ask the ushers to remain standing. The rest of you may be seated. Thank you for being back with us this evening. Lord, I pray that you would bless this offering. May it go to further the gospel here in our community, in this county, and as we reach across uh, the world. In your name we pray. Amen.
Thank you, Lord Lee. He hideth my soul. Take your hymnals one more time before the message tonight. 290. 290 as we sing the power of the cross. 290, the power of the cross. To see the dawn of the darkest day, Christ on the road to Calvary, tried by sinful men, torn and beaten then, nailed to a cross of wood. This the power of the cross, Christ became sin for us, took the blame, bore the wrath, we stand forgiven hand. Let's all stand on the second, oh, to see the pain, oh, to see the pain written on your face, bearing the Every bitter thought, every evil deed, crowning your This the power? This the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us, took the And forgiven at the cross. Now the daylight flees, now the ground beneath quakes as its maker bows his head. Curtain torn in two, dead erased to life, finished the victory cry. This the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us. Took the we stand forgiven at the cross. Oh, to see, oh, to see my name. For through your suffering I am free. Death is crushed to death, life is mine to live. One through your selfless love. This the power of the Son of God, Son of God, slain for us. What a we stand forgiven at the cross. Thank you. Please be seated. Take your Bibles this evening and turn with me to the book of Hebrews, if you would please. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. This morning as we were studying there in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and we were learning 
from Paul's testimony, and more than that, from the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, how we can bring honor to God, even while we're going through afflictions. Um, One thing I thought of following the message, I'll mention it to you this evening, but just by way of a testimony or an illustration of how God can use an affliction in our lives to bring him glory and to encourage other people and have not just a positive influence, but a life-changing influence in other people. Um, Just by way of illustration, um, I mentioned this morning the piano, and uh, piano is an important part of our worship, isn't it? Singing plays an important role. Um, that Mr. Wirtz gave that to us and to the Lord uh, in remembrance of his wife, memory of his wife. Many of you uh, might remember Mrs. Janet Wirtz, and uh, she was just a lovely lady inside and out, sweet, kind. She just had those eyes, just kind eyes, and uh, complimentary, encouraging. And uh, when Mrs. Wirtz passed away, uh, not all that long ago, when she passed away, uh, Mr. Wirtz and she had been married, seemed like all their lives. And um, Mr. Wirtz was hurting deeply. Um, whenever a spouse loses a loved one, they hurt. But it was obvious the pain and the suffering he was going through. In fact, for a time, I wondered if he would live much longer. And... Uh, But out of that suffering, we are blessed through how God has comforted and consoled him. We're blessed through that, and we'll be blessed for many, many years. This morning, when my sister played that song, I don't know that she's here this evening, but when she played that song, she wrote that song, she wrote the music to that song. Were you blessed by that? It was. It moved our hearts. Um, We could identify with that. But uh, Heather wrote that song out of a grieving heart and out of an affliction, out of suffering. But yet when you and I find, through thanksgiving, the grace of God to go through the affliction and the suffering, you see God uses us to be a consolation and a comfort to others. And many of you this morning were comforted, you were consoled, because Heather went through an affliction and suffered herself. And I just, I just say that just as an illustration because God wants to use. Let him use, it. Let him use you, won't you? And uh, even, my own, even myself thinking about these things, it's not an easy thing to say, Lord, I'm putting my all on the altar. It's one thing to say, Lord, send me anywhere. Send me to another country to plant a church that grows and is impressive and the whole world knows about. <laughs> it's another thing to say, Lord, here I am. Use, you, you do in my life what you want to bring you glory and to use, use me to show Christ's love to other people. That is a different thing. And that's what he's after. That's what Christ did. That's what his example is to us. We gather tonight uh, to remember what Jesus Christ did for us. We remember his blood that was shed and his body that was broken. We remember his suffering. We do. We think about that. Um, we also remember his faith. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, Uh, The Apostle Paul uh, penned the words, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. 
And then he tells us what that faith was, who, who loved me and gave himself for me. It doesn't say that we live by our faith. It says we live by, in essence, because of his faith. Jesus, and we talked about this, I think, a week or two ago. Jesus, when he went to that cross, and even in the Garden of Gethsemane, and praying alone, the disciples too tired to pray with him, standing alone that night being wrongfully tried, beaten and scorned and ridiculed, mocked, hung on a cross. Jesus Christ did not live that life that he had been given to live. He did not live it based upon what he could see, his disciples running away from him, abandoning him, Peter denying him. He didn't didn't live for the present. He lived for the future. And I want to think about that here this evening in the time that we have. You're You're in Hebrews chapter 12. And I want to read beginning in verse number 1. I'm going to read down through verse number 3. He says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the grace, or excuse me, the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. You know, the reality is every one of us, as we go through life, life brings its challenges, life life brings its heartache, and it's not just life, God brings hardships into our lives to try us, to purify us, to make us more like Christ, uh, to reveal our faith where it really is, to reveal our loves, what we really love, what we're really dedicated to, uh, to bring in glory and to bring us honor someday. So he brings these trials into our lives for a lot of reasons. But you know, every one of us, every one of us are tempted to be weary and to faint, to to just stop. And so Paul, or some think it's the Apostle Paul, the penman of Hebrews, pens down these words. God gives us this. Uh, He says, I want you to think about, I want you to remember that you're not the first person to ever go through hardship. Okay, And I want you to know that there are a lot of people who have gone through hardship before you. And who have suffered greatly, but they followed the Lord Jesus Christ. And they lived their lives on this side like you and me, going through hardships, enduring hardships. They lived their lives on this earth the same way that Jesus Christ went to the cross and died for us to save our souls from death and hell. They lived their lives in a way that was pleasing to God. And the word that Hebrews 11 tells us is pleasing to God. The life that is pleasing to God is a life lived by faith. Faith. What is faith? Faith As I've used a definition for many years, faith, if I can boil it down, is taking God at his word. Faith is taking God at his word. It's not a hope so. It's not a I feel like it. No, it's saying I can look around at the world around me. I can see the way the world is going. I I feel the pressures. I feel it within my own body. And yet I am going to do what I, I, I'm going to do this because the Bible instructs me to do that. I'm going to take God at his word. 
Let's pray together and then we'll look at these truths. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray as we think about the sacrifice that was made for us in the person of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that, uh, that you would help us to choose tonight to follow him. We, we, we will partake tonight in remembrance of what he did for us. And Father, we cannot forget his faith. Father, I pray tonight that we as followers of Jesus Christ, that we indeed would be followers, that we would indeed be Christians, little Christ, who walk in his footsteps, follow his footsteps, that we too would live our lives on this earth, that we too would bear our cross in faith, taking you at your word. And Father, I pray that you'd be pleased with us. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Look back to chapter 11 for just a moment. In chapter 12, the beginning part, he says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. And then he's going to give us instruction. But that instruction is based upon uh, what Christ has done. And not just what Christ has done, but what all of these Christians have done. All of these believers in Christ have done. And there's a whole list of them in chapter 11. I'd like to read the whole thing, but I don't know that we will take the time to do that here this evening. But it starts at the very beginning of time, and Cain, and uh, Abel, and uh, Enoch, and and Noah, and, and making decisions not based upon what they could see, but based upon what God had told them. And that's how you and I are supposed to live. We're not supposed to go through life making decisions based upon what we can see or based upon what others are doing or based upon how we feel. We're to go through life making decisions based upon what God says. And there's a lot of practical application to that. As parents, we should train up our children based upon what God says. Well, nobody does that anymore. Well, that may be true. It's probably not. Nobody's a 100% statement. It's probably not true. But you know what? Even if nobody else is going to do that, as mom and dad, we're going to do that because the Bible tells us to. And, and so as we look here in chapter 11, I, I, want you, I want you to notice, let's pick it up here. Let's see here. Let's pick it up. And we'll pick it up in verse 24. Verse 24. Verse 23, it says, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child. And they were not afraid of the king's commandments. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. I can remember years ago, a speaker challenging us as I was about teenage, and he said, would you be willing to die for the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, I don't know. We'd all like to think we would be willing to do that. But you know what? I think a better question would be, are, are we today, in this day, are you and I willing to live for him? I could ask the question, are, are you willing to come to church for him? Are, are you willing to... Are you willing to read your Bible for him? Are you willing to forgive others for him? You see, are we willing to live for him? Are we willing to follow his word for him? Uh, Forget about dying. I think our generation today, our society today, Christianity today is getting very, very weak. And 
It, it becomes a, if we feel like it, Christianity, a fair-weather Christianity. We ought to be careful against that. Uh, Moses, it, it we're told of Moses that he chose to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect under the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians, as saying to do, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down, and after they were compassed about seven days. You remember that account, don't you? The people of Israel just took God at his word. They obeyed God's word, and the walls of Jericho came down. Verse 31, by faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. And what shall I say more? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon. Remember Gideon who was hiding? Not the bravest man initially. And of Barak and of Samson. Samson, there's a guy that we all tell our children to follow his example. No. 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 We tell our children, our sons, about Samson, and maybe our daughters about Samson, and say, don't have anything to do with this guy. Don't be like this guy. Why is he listed here? Well, let's read on. And of Jephthah, and of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of Fire escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the, en- the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. He's talking about believers here, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and of imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. They were cut in half. We're talking about believers for their faith. Were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and uh, tormented, of whom the, the world was not worthy, God says. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, Receive not the promise. They're with the Lord now, but they lived their lives and they endured and they suffered. You think about, you read that list, tortured, sawn in two. I mean, our our lives, and, and here's the thing, you and I, you and I, we read about these things. You know, none of us have built an ark by faith and and that's not something we're commanded to do. Don't go home and do that. Honey, I've got a new project. We're going to build an ark in the backyard. Hope you have a big backyard. But you know what? There are, there are many things that you and I have been commanded by God to do in faith for you and for me. In all of those situations, they pleased God when they took God at his word, when they took him at his word. And that's what God wants you and I to do. He wants us to live our lives by his word, taking him at his word. Now, that brings us to 
verse 1 of chapter 12, and he says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Witnesses. Now, I, I don't believe for a moment that those who are in heaven can look down and see all that's going on. Okay. They're not witnesses in that sense. They are witnesses in the sense that they have, they themselves witnessed what it was like to overcome hardship and trial and impossible situations by taking God at his word. Everybody listed there in Hebrews chapter 11 is a witness to that fact. They lived their lives on this earth and they endured hardship, suffering and pain and impossible situations and they were victorious in the eyes of God because they took God at his word. And you know what the implication is for here for you and for me? And the encouragement is this. If they could do it, you can do it. If they could do it, I can do it. If they could live on this earth in a wicked time and overcome by faith, I can do that too. And and he tells us in verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race That is set before us. I want to notice here this evening just three thoughts. First of all, we need to lay some things aside. If we're going to run the race that God set before us, and that's what he says in verse number one, the race that is set before us. Do you get to choose your own race? How many of you got to choose your own race? You haven't, have you? Um, I got to go to my doctor again this week and... I had trying to change some things up in my diet, and I haven't. I think I drank one pop in the last two months. Okay, lost like twelve pounds. Yippee! You're all impressed. I can tell. <laughs> oh, anyway, that's, I won't say that. Anyway, so so anyway, I met with my doctor on Tuesday, and and uh, he had he says. Uh, basically looking at some numbers, and he says, if you don't follow my instruction, I hope your life insurance policy is paid up. Now, my bad cholesterol is above where it should be. Okay, needs to change. Um, I didn't choose this. Now, for many in this room, you know, you're like, Seth, that's not a big deal. Take the pill. Move on with life. Right? Um, But I could tell you when I came home, Cindy knew I wasn't pleased. I was hoping my numbers would drop down to like when I was 17 and a half, you know, whatever they were then, you know. And and it's silly, it really is. But you know the kidney stone that took place in my life a week ago or whatever? I didn't get to choose that either. And the reality is we can all go down a path in our lives And there are a lot of things that we don't get to choose. The race has been set before us. Sure, we make decisions. Sure, we can can make mistakes. Uh, We can affect things. But you know what? Every one of us, to a degree, faces a race that has not been chosen by us, but by God for us. And he tells us, you need to lay some things aside. This is a negative statement, by the way. You You need to... In verse number one, the beginning part, you need to lay aside. You need to get rid of some things. And he tells us you need to get rid of every weight. 
And the emphasis here is that you need to get rid of those things that are slowing down your spiritual growth, your spiritual progress. Is there anything in your life that's slowing down spiritual progress in your life? You know, sometimes good things, what I mean by that is not sinful things, can slow down our spiritual progress. Um, Facebook is not necessarily a sinful thing. It can be used for it. It can be used for good. It can be used for righteousness. It's not necessarily bad to be on Facebook, but you know what? I'm using it as an illustration. If you were to spend too much time on Facebook to the neglect of the Word of God or to, or to the neglect of the body of Christ or to the neglect of loving your wife or training up your children, you see what I'm saying? We've got a lot of stuff to do in this, in this life, not a lot of things that need to get done. If we make that a priority, um, it actually can slow us down. There, it, it, it can slow down our spiritual progress. In Luke chapter 21, he talks about carousing and drunkenness and the cares of this life. In Colossians chapter 3, he talks about, he says, put off all these. And then he lists them, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. In 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and all hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. In James chapter 1 he says, Lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. You see, there's some things that we need to lay apart. There's some things that we need to lay apart. And he says every weight, the things that are slowing you down. You know, running a race with weights, and I was never very fast. Uh, in college, we had to go out and run the 40-yard dash and get timed. It was ridiculous. Guys who were 30 pounds heavier than me were running faster than me. I'm not a fast runner. Last Monday in the softball field, I ran and made a catch in practice, and I said to Doug, did I look fast? I said, because I felt fast. I could hear the wind, you know, shh. I wasn't, I'm not very fast. I never have been very fast. But you know what? To add weight on someone slows them down. Right, And it's very practical. If you and I are going to run the race that God has set before us, we're going, to have to, we're going to have to get rid of some weight. Every weight, he says. We also need to get rid of the sin which does so easily beset us. Now, this is not something that our Lord Jesus Christ had to do because he was without sin. But you know that any and all sins should be laid aside? Tonight, when we partake of the Lord's Supper and the elements come grape juice, and the, uh, the unleavened bread will come. I've encouraged you before, you know, it takes, there's a few minutes that's necessary for the deacons and the ushers to bring those elements to you. And you know, if you're in the front, you, you get yours right away, and then you have to wait for a while, and then and it, there's a few minutes there. I would encourage you to take time and just bow your head right where you're at, uh, when that is happening, don't 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 necessarily don't just sit there and twiddle your thumbs, but sit there and and uh, and close your eyes and pray and commune with your heavenly Father. And you might pray as David prayed, Lord, search my heart, try me, see if there be any wicked way in me, lead me in the in the way everlasting. Lord, you you sent your Son to die for me on the cross so that I could live a life victorious over sin. And, and Lord, and maybe you could say this honestly, God, as best as I know, there is no unconfessed sin in my life. 
But Lord, if there's sin in my life, if my thinking has gotten off track in some way, or my heart is being drawn away into some sort of sin, Lord, would you reveal that to me? Don't partake of the Lord's table tonight um, with known sin in your life. Confess it and forsake it right here tonight. You don't have to come up and kneel at the front. You can do that in your heart right where you're sitting. And I encourage you to do that. He says, you need to lay off. You need to get rid of this sin which does so easily beset you. The epistle to the Hebrews was written to encourage faithfulness. Faithfulness to Jesus Christ. Faithfulness to the new covenant. Look back to Hebrews chapter 3 for just a moment. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse number 12. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12. You know, really, as we're, we're looking at this passage in Hebrews 12, all sins should be laid aside. That's true. But from the context, he says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin. The sin. And from the context, we might understand that to be the sin of unbelief or doubt. And so, you're in Hebrews chapter 3. Look at verses 12 and 13. He says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be any, any of you an evil heart, be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today. Encourage one another today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And I believe he's talking about this, an evil heart of unbelief. And so he warns us of unbelief. He's talking about faith in the book of Hebrews, and he's warning these believers about unbelief, the sin, the sin in chapter 12 and verse number 1, that we're to lay aside, I believe, is the sin of unbelief. You know, all of our sin kind of falls out of that sin of unbelief. Not taking God at his word. When a husband decides not to love his wife like Christ loves the church, which is a sacrificial love, that means lowering myself and loving her. When a husband chooses not to do that, first he has to choose to decide, you know what, I'm not going to love, I'm not going to do what God says. I'm not going to do what he says. Do you see how she's looking at me? That's not a look of respect. And so I can just respond however I want to respond. It starts before a husband doesn't love his wife like Christ loves the church. He sins against her and against God with a sin of unbelief and rejecting the word of God. Same could be true for the wife, not submitting herself to her own husband. A sin, a singular sin. And, and what is the one sin that has the greatest effect on faith? And I believe it's the sin of doubt. The sin that messes up the life of faith is doubt. We'd all say, well, God, you can supply all my needs, but every time something doesn't go the way we think it should, we get a little nervous. And really, we're doubting. There's doubt there. Why? And that's why the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, take the shield of faith with which you should be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Those shields that Paul referred to were about four and a half feet tall by two and a half feet wide. They were big shields. They were covered in thick leather and they, were, they would be soaked 
in oil and the flaming arrows of the enemy would come and they'd sink into that leather and they'd be extinguished. The shield of the Christian is faith. It's a defensive weapon. The shield of the believer is taking God at his word. And the moment you and I stop taking God at his word in an area, we are opening ourselves up to destruction. Temptation, sin, consequences for sin, and the list goes on and on and on. Take God at his word. Satan fires his temptations and fires his temptations, and we can stop them with the shield of faith. You say, we, you know, Satan is a, a liar, and nothing he says is true, and everything that God says is true, and so I'm going to believe God, and if we'll live that way, we'll be victorious over sin if we believe what God says, if we take him at his word. You know, Satan came to the Lord Jesus Christ during his earthly ministry, and who did Jesus believe? He believed God, and he was victorious. So every sin is an act of unbelief. We can run the race of faith as God desires if we'll take him at his word and lay aside the hindrances. Lay aside every weight. Lay aside the sin which does so, the sin which does so easily beset us. Let's take God at his word. Secondly, this evening, not only do we need to lay something, some things aside, but secondly, we need to have endurance. We need to have endurance. Look at verse number one. The latter part, he says, run with patience the race that is set before us. Patience. The, the word patience has the idea of endurance. The purpose of God often, the purposes of God often develop slowly in our lives because his designs are not hurried I remember reading about a a pastor, a preacher in New England. His name was Philip Brooks. And he was noted as a man who was a quiet man and who was a a man of great poise. Nothing seemed to rattle him. And one situation, a friend saw him and he was feverishly pacing the floor like what he was described as a caged lion. And he was asked, what's the trouble, Mr. Brooks? And, the, and, and he replied, he said, the trouble is that I'm in a hurry, but God isn't. Have you ever felt that way? I felt that way. Lord, we're missing the opportunity here. Lord, this would have been a great opportunity for you to show yourself strong. You know, God, everybody would be impressed with you if you'd act now. You see, we need to have Endurance. If we're going to run the race of faith, Jesus Christ had endurance. The race of faith is a marathon, it's not a sprint. The Christian life doesn't require one quick burst of energy, and then the race is over. The race of faith requires a sustained effort over what may seem like a long period of time. Thomas Akempis described that kind of patience in these words. He said, He deserved not the name of a patient who is only willing to suffer as much as he thinks proper and for whom he pleases. You following? He doesn't deserve the title. This person is patient if he's not willing to suffer, if he's only willing to suffer as much as he thinks proper and for whom he pleases. Well, I'll suffer for that person. Or I'll suffer for this period of time, God, and that's it. No more than that. That's all I signed up for. The, the man who is truly patient asks nothing 
from whom he suffers, whether his superior or his equal or his inferior, but from whomever or how much or how often wrong is done to him. He accepts it all as from the hand of God and counts it gain. Endurance is absolutely necessary, by the way. Jesus often taught his disciples concerning the need for endurance, the need for patience. Believing Jews will suffer tremendously during the tribulation to come. We studied it in Revelation. Matthew 10 and verse 22 says, And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Speaking of those Jews. James chapter 1 and verse 12 speaks to us. It says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Again in James chapter 5 and verse 11, he says, Behold, we count them happy which endure. And then he says, Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, and the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 19, Peter wrote to those believers and he said, For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffer wrongfully. Are you and I willing to endure grief? The only way you're going to be willing to endure grief, grief if, it, if it's by faith. You're never going to be willing to endure grief if, you're just look, if we look around at what's around us in the present. It's not, it's not enough. You, you and I are going to have to look to God's word, look to the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're going to have to say, God, I don't feel thankful. I don't think I have the endurance or the, the, the fortitude to continue. But God, you tell me in your word to do this. It's like this morning when we, thought, came up, when we, we saw in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that we need to have thankfulness. In our trial. That's faith. For me to say thank you is faith. You know, the message I preached this morning, uh, over three years ago, I sat down and began to study that passage with the intent to preach that message. And uh, I, I worked on it. There were, I don't know, several hundred words typed out on a piece of paper, but it wasn't a message, and I never could preach it. And part of the reason why was because I wasn't thankful. I couldn't do it. And I told you this morning there were times with that one particular situation where I came to the realization that I needed to be thankful in all things and in that thing. And I told you this morning how I can remember for several weeks, I knew I needed to be thankful, and I would be led of the Spirit of God in my praying to give God thanks for that particular matter, and I would stop, and that would be the end of it, and I would stand up and go about my day. I couldn't verbalize the words. But you know, faith, faith brings us to the point where we say, Lord, you know how I feel, and I don't feel thankful. But God, that's my flesh, and your word says I'm to give thanks. And so, God, you might have to take a big swallow and say, God, thank you. That's faith. That's living not by sight, but by faith, by the word of God. 
That's how God wants us to live. Endurance is absolutely necessary. The third thought I want to mention here this, this evening is, not only do we need to lay some things aside and we need to have endurance, but thirdly and finally, we need to focus on Jesus Christ. Look at verses 2 and 3. He says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. It was his idea, and he's the one who accomplished it. How did he do it? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Think about him being crucified, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him, think about him, that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. You see, when we take our our eyes off of the Lord, and we take our eyes off of his promises, all of us are prone to fainting. All of us are prone to giving up. That's why it's so important for us to be faithful to the word of God in gathering ourselves together every opportunity we can. I know that it, it is popular not to have a prayer meeting in the middle of the week. I know that in, in some places, in some circles, it's popular not to gather the church on a Sunday night. You know, that's old-fashioned, that's old school, back when we all had nothing better to do, and we just did it because we were bored. But I know it's unpopular today, and, and, and Sunday school, you know, I mean Sunday school, really. And I know these things are unpopular in some circles, but you know what? As I've, as I've thought and prayed about these matters, and I've, I've talked with others about it, and I think of my own four children, I ask myself this question, what would be best for my four children to know God? What would be best for them? And I think about you, and I think, what would be best for you? Would it be better for you not to be exposed to more of the Word of God? Would it be better for you to be exposed to less of it? Or would it be better for you to be exposed to the Word of God? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And the one thing the devil loves to do is to pull his people away from the Word of God because when we are not focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ, when we are not considering Him, and we as people need to be reminded on a regular basis, but when we're not being reminded and considering and looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, we are prone to growing tired and fainting in our minds and throwing in the towel and giving up And I don't think any of us in this room think that is a good idea. You see, we need to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to look to him. Dad's here, and uh, years ago when I would, we would play catch and with baseball and Little League baseball and those sort of things, I can remember Dad teaching me how to hit a fastball, and I don't think I'm going to be able to get my elbow up high enough, Dad, with the suit on, so please take it easy. But you know what? Uh, uh, Dad would pitch the ball to me in practice or whatever, and, and one of the things that would always, and maybe in a game, what I'd hear from the stands was, keep your eye on the ball, right? Because I have found myself, I know this time it's going to go there, right? This one's gone. Whoosh, hear it smack into the catcher's mitt. Keep your eye on the ball. And there's something that you and I need to keep our eyes on, be focused on. And he tells us what they are. In verse 2, he says, look to Jesus. If you're a child of God, you're in the race. Do you hear me? I didn't say if you're in the choir, you're in the race. 
If you're working in uh, RU Recovery, you're in the race. Or if you're a Sunday school teacher, you're in the race. Or if you're on pastoral staff, you're in the race. Or if you're a deacon, you're in the race. No, if you're a child of God, you are in the race. And so what should we do if we're in the race? We might, you might be in the beginning of the race. You might be in the middle of the race. You might be at the end of the race. I hope you're not sitting on the side of the track. We're told throughout the word of God that the race, the Christian life, is difficult. And what hardships, what hardships are you facing in this race? Where are you at in the race? The sooner we get our eyes off of us and we get them on the Lord, the better. Because no matter what, our focus should be on the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, look unto Jesus. Our focus must be upon the Lord as we run the race. If we're looking away to Jesus, that's what we're supposed to do. If you want, if you want to be distressed, look within. You know, the world tells us to do that. Look inside yourself. That's distressing. Don't look inside yourself. If you want to be distressed, look within. If you want to be defeated, look back. Look back at where you've been. Look back at who you used to be. Dwell on those things and you will be defeated. If you want to be distracted, look around. Look around at the world around us. If you want to be discouraged, look ahead. Sometimes I'm prone to that, right? Start looking ahead. Well, what if this? What if that? What if? What if? Who knows? If you want to be discouraged, look ahead. But if you want to be delivered, look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our focus must be on Jesus because he's the author and finisher of our faith. It was his plan, and he executed the plan, and he saved our souls. We need to be focusing upon the Lord Jesus Christ because he succeeded in running the race. Why? Well, you see it in verse 2, the middle part, for the joy that was set before him. The joy that was set before him. The Bible talks about him in Philippians chapter 2, seated on the right hand of the Father. The Bible talks about him ruling and reigning as King of kings and Lord of lords for all of eternity. The Bible talks about a house not built with hands. It talks about the body of Christ. It talks about the redeemed of all the ages. Redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ went to that cross and he died for you and for me on that cross, he wasn't looking at the present situation Though that was, in reality, on his mind, it was the joy that was set before him. It was the, the victory that was awaiting him. And, when he, and he succeeded by, because he was looking at the joy that was set before him. You and I must do the same. In verse number 3, he says, we must consider him. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. We should contemplate him. We should think about him. We should meditate upon him and, and what he went through. We must consider how he endured. We must contemplate how Jesus endured such contradiction, such hostility of sinners against himself. Hostility was something that Jesus Christ faced regularly during his earthly ministry. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. You, you, you know that you and I can pray that same way? Lord, would you remove this from me? 
But God, if it's your will for me to go through it, then God, your will be done in my life. We ought to pray that way. That, that would be running the race with patience and in faith. But we cannot run with endurance if we become weary and discouraged. So as we consider the Lord and his example, while we do that, we'll not grow weary. We'll not give up, we'll not faint. Isaiah 40 and verse 31 says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. We need to lay some things aside. Tonight's a great night to do that. We need to have endurance. Every single one of us need to have endurance. I can't find myself looking too far ahead. I could find myself looking out upon a congregation like this or Trinity Baptist Church, and there are many in this room that I love with all of my heart. And uh, I have to be careful that I don't find myself looking and saying, well, what if, what if they stumble in the race? What if they give up? I would hope that none of us would give up. I would hope that none of us would throw in the towel. I hope that we all endure to the end. That's what God wants us to do. That's what Jesus Christ did. That's what you and I can do. That's what we're called to do. That's what pleases God. But you know what? If someone gives up along the way, you and I must still run the race with patience and faith, taking God at his word. Hebrews 10.36 says, For ye have need of patience, Endurance that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. Jesus Christ did that. Let's take our hymnals and let's turn to, let's see here, hymn number 149. Oh, three, 330. Hymn number 330. Pastor Toman's going to lead us. And then, men, if you'd come on the second time we sing it. 330. Come to the table of mercy, prepared with the drink and the bread. All who are hungry and thirsty, come and your souls will be fed. Come at the Lord's invitation, receive from his nail-scarred hand. Eat of the bread of salvation, drink of the blood of the... Let's stand as the men come. Come to the table of mercy, prepared with the drink and the bread. All who are hungry and thirsty, come and your souls will be fed. Come at the Lord's invitation, receive from his nail-scarred hand. Eat of the bread of salvation, drink of the blood of the Lamb. Thank you.